You may not be thinking about retirement right now, but at some point in the future, you will probably want to leave your business in the hands of someone you trust and then go on to enjoy the next phase of your life. In this episode, Gail Doby sits down with Bob Rauf, a wealth management advisor with Meridian Financial. He knows a thing or two about setting up a strong succession plan. In this episode, you'll learn about what you should consider when it comes to your eventual exit from the company and why you should start thinking about it now. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Glad well, to be here. <laughs> well, I, we were just chatting before we got started today, and I was thinking as I was reading through the information you sent us that one of the topics that we have not covered yet on our podcast, and I think this is so appropriate, is talking about succession planning. Okay. And um, I have been in the midst of this for yeah, at least five years. and somewhere down the road, maybe another five or 10 years, I'll be actually done with the business. But for right now, I think it's a relevant topic because there are several of our clients that are thinking about this. They're in their 50s or 60s. And even the people that aren't in their 50s or 60s, I think they should be thinking about succession planning the whole time that they're in business because there is so much that you need to plan for and think about as you're building your business. And you're gonna exit sometime, either by choice or by not by choice. Right. <laughs> right? Yep. So um, you're personally going through succession planning as well. So why don't you share a little bit first about your business and then talk to us about what has started your journey on the succession planning? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, I guess, um, I guess first off, let me start with just kind of like, you know, most of our clients are business owners. And so obviously their biggest asset is their business. Um, mm -hmm. It always usually shocks business owners when we first meet them when I say, okay, if we look at your personal net worth statement, I guarantee you 80% is the value of your business plus any real estate you own, right? And that's because they're right. putting all their money into their business and that's their biggest asset and it's great. And banks love it. The problem is it's an illiquid asset, mm -hmm. right? So how do you make an illiquid asset become a liquid asset? And doing, you know, planning for clients and their retirement and everything, again, it looks great on paper that, hey, you've got this great asset over here. And yeah, as long as we can liquidate it, you're going to be fine for retirement. But the problem is, how do you go about doing that? So, um, so we've been fortunate over the years, you know, I've been doing this a little over 35 years. And so I've been fortunate with working with that many business owners. I've seen a lot of different ways people have gone about doing it. Um, and I actually stole our business succession plan from one of my clients. So, wow. so yes, because I think you get your best ideas from your clients. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think you're absolutely right. Right. So, um, so this is actually a dental practice that now there's gone through their fourth generation of business oh. transition. Mm. So um, I felt like it definitely worked. And what I liked about it, and I'll kind of go through a little bit about how we use it. But what I liked about it is that the um, the departing owner, I guess the way of saying it versus mature owner, um, is kind of running to the finish line. I've seen a lot of times with different ways people go about um, doing their business succession planning, the departing owner typically takes the last few years off and you see the business go through a decline which is not for the partner that's coming in and taking over. It's not what they want to see happen. So, so I kind of like that um, aspect of it. So, um, so when it came time for our business succession planning, again, having seen all this, I probably worked on this a lot earlier than most. So our succession plan has been in effect since 2016 and I'm not oh, wow. fully out 
and I'm not fully out until 2030. So wow. it was a yeah, so 14 years, so very long, but it, it's just the way it ended up work, working out. So um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think sometimes people worry. Do I need, you know, how early should you have a succession plan? And to your point, I think it's important to have one. It can be very open-ended um, on the back end of it. You really need to have at least five years, I think, to make sure you have one that's very, it's going to be well thought out and, and work the way you want it to. Because a lot of times what will happen is that you'll get going down the road and try to go one way and then realize that's not what we really want to end up happening. So, um, so the way we've structured ours is my um, business partner. We've structured where they're going to be future business partners too, but that um, they got a small percentage, or he got a small percentage back in 2016. Hit certain bogeys, got another percentage in 2020, and then when um, in 2025 will be 50/50 owners, and then in 2030 um, he'll be 100% owner. So kind of did it in okay. stages. And each of those different times we did it, we do a different business valuation at that time to see what the business is worth and then go ahead and do the buyout from then um, and then have it financed over a five to 10 year period based upon how long the, the buyout is. Wow. Money. So, um, so it gives me incentive, right? You think about it from my standpoint and from his standpoint, I still have 50% of the business that's going to be sold when um, in 2030 when I'm 65. And mm -hmm. so for me, I want to make sure that value is as high as it can be. So I'm not going to be like resting on my laurels leading up to 2030. I'm going to be doing it, well, everything I can to have the value of the business really grow, which again, if I'm him and any other future people might be buying in, that's good. They want to be buying into a growing and thriving business. They don't want to be buying into something that's kind of dying. Okay. Well, there's just so many questions. <laughs> and I'm sure there are about a hundred thousand million ways to dice and slice this. But um, say that you have um, people on your team that you think could run the business, but they don't have cash to be able to buy in. How do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, a lot of times what will end up happening is you put in a, um, a performance plan or incentive plan. Mm -hmm. um, some, I've heard some of these co sometimes called the LTIPS, which stands for long-term incentive plan. Okay. So it could be where you tell somebody, you know, hey, as long as you do, you know, whatever you decide the criteria is each year, as long as you do this for five years or 10 years, at the end of that time period, you're going to get a lump sum of cash, right? Now, if you think about it, you're, you're the majority owner right now. You're like, okay, wait, I'm basically financing my buy-in or my buyout. You are. But also you have to think about is, okay, if you put all these different bogeys in there for the person that's going to buy you out to grow the business, you're getting it back in the form of the business is getting more valuable. And also you should be getting more profits along the way. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of look at it that way. And also you're helping out making sure there is definitely then going to be a buyer who can buy you out as opposed to later on not having a buyer that you have to worry about. So, um, and a lot of times they're also called like golden handcuff plans. So sure. to give you an example, we have one um, business right now um, that actually just updated their plan a couple months ago. Um, and so they have it to where based on the different offices they have, the current manager of each office, um, they're getting a bonus based upon the profitability of each of their offices at the end of 10 years and they're getting a lump sum. If they leave literally one day before that 10 years hits, they get nothing. Wow. Okay. So it's kind of like a cliff vesting, but then once they hit the 10 years, they get that money and that money then can be used then to buy into the business. Okay. Well, let's just say, for instance, um, that sounds like a great plan. 
And you've got all these incentives that you've designed based on business being good. But what if you have a downturn? Like we're kind of at that cusp of financial markets being a little bit crazy and we've got wars and we've got all these other things that people are thinking about. And what if you have some bad years ahead? And what if all those things don't work out? What do you do? Yeah, so then that won't get funded that year, right? Because mm-hmm. usually what you end up tying it to is to profitability as one of the like indicators, mm-hmm. right? So if profitability is down. So let's say it's an off year for whatever reason. All right, well, either it didn't get funded to the full amount or it might not get funded at all. I so um, so I think that's how you protect yourself. Um, again, you could have it not based upon that. If you say, all right, well, we're just going to have it on a certain amount of growth each year where you realize, all right, well, this year we had that growth, but we didn't recognize that revenue. Right. So we're going to have to eventually make up this in in a future year. You can do it that way, too. But I do think it's smart to have it tied to profitability um, just so that you're not stuck having to play catch up later on. Yeah, that's great advice. I I think it's so complicated. And I've read several books on exits Mm -hmm. uh, is for myself. I'm thinking about it. Um, God knows when I'll ever retire. (laughs) You know, for right now, I'm still in here working hard with the business, trying to build it where I want it to go and also to help my team get ready for it. Because um, I know it's going to be at least five years for them to be ready for it. Right. how do you prepare your team for this? And do you let them know what your plans are? Oh yeah, everybody on our team knows what's going on. All of our clients know what's going on. Um, you know, our industry is kind of a, I don't wanna say it's a weird industry. I don't know how else to put it. Maybe all industries are, are weird like this, uh, but in financial services, it's very common for once the advisor reaches retirement age, just to say, hey, see you later. And they retire and all their clients are look left looking for a new advisor, typically your clients are within five years, one eight, uh, either five years older than you or five years younger than you. Really? So, yes. So if you're if you're then retiring, most of your clients are retiring or have just retired. So it's not really the opportune time to be looking for a new financial advisor. And so I just thought this was the most ludicrous thing in the world. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I've been so um, adamant about, I wanna make sure that we have a good succession plan because if I'm a client, that's the last thing I want to be worrying about. And I want to make sure all our clients are taken care of. And then I just thought that that was totally crazy. So that is um, crazy. Yeah. Hadn't thought about that. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so we're talking about small interior design firms and you yep. know, our industry and yes. you've worked yeah. with a lot of our clients. So in our industry, it's a little bit harder because um, for most people, I think this is common, especially for entrepreneurs. You have a small company, you have maybe less than 20 people on your team, right. and maybe you haven't really thought about succession planning. You haven't built yourself into the owner of the business versus the CEO or principal designer or whatever you want to call it. Yep. And so I understand that's part of it. You've got to get yourself to that point where you've worked yourself out of the day to day so right. that. Other people are running the company and you're just there advising and uh, kind of helping along and yeah. maybe just being the spokesperson for the company. But how do you really prepare the team to be able to take over the roles that you have? And I think this is this goes along with the idea of just basic mentoring and coaching. But yeah. what do you recommend? What are some things, tips that you would share with our listeners? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is you need to realize, is, you know, I started, it was just me, right? So I know a lot of the people on the list in this probably same thing. They started themselves. They said, hey, I really like this. I don't want a boss. I'm going to open my own business. 
Mm-hmm. That's why you got started. And then you realized, I don't have to need to learn this whole business thing. And so you kind of did that and you're kind of piecemealing all together. And now you have the succession planning. You're like, okay, how's that going to work? Um, and so I think the hard part is you have to make sure that you have the, I always talk about the right people on the bus, but do you have the right team members? And um, you also have to realize it's going to take more than one person to replace you, right? We're used to it just being us because it had to just be us because we're starting off and we couldn't pay the bills and it's just you. So you learn to be the jack of all trades and let's face it. We were really good at like, I'm an interior designer. I was really good at interior designing. I wasn't that good at all the business stuff, right? And, and learned it and probably begrudgingly learned it. And now you're like, okay, now I need to have the other team members to kind of do this. And so I think it's a matter of teaching those team members what you learned along the way so that they don't make the same mistakes you did. But also, and this is where, at least for me, it's been very humbling from an ego standpoint, is that you teach them what you know, and then you realize very quickly, they're doing it much better than you are, ever could could have done it, right? And you're like, okay, so was I that bad at it? Or am I that good of a mentor? Or, you know, it's very humbling when you hire people and they're starting to do these things much quicker and learn it much quicker than, than you did and do it at a much better um, value than, than you did. Um, but I think you need to realize, well, that wasn't why I got in the business. It, it wasn't you know, do the accounting. It wasn't to do the HR. It wasn't so good. So good for them that they're taking that and running it to the level you need to have it at. Um, so I do think it's a matter of thinking about, you know, who do you need to have on the team? And you need to realize it is going to take more than one person because you're not a one-person shop anymore. You've kind of grown. And if you want it to grow, you need to make sure that you're going to have other people there. So, um, so at least I know in our industry, we're always told you probably need two to three people to replace you. Oof. So that's an interesting. You know that, but it, but it's also because of the fact that if you're going to start letting go of all these different hats, you know, you probably right now are doing two to three people's different jobs. That's probably why you're working sixty hours a week. Well, mm-hmm. you probably want to tone that back a little bit, right? And so, if even if you did it now and toned it back, you'd have to hire other people to do those other jobs. So I think you just need to realize it's an adjustment, and you just need to figure out that's what it needs to have, what it has to happen. And it is a little bit of an, of an ego bruise. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe make you feel better about that. And here's what I think. I think what happens is we learn the hard way and then we teach it. So other people don't have to learn the hard way. Right. True. So yes. you just shortcutted them learning the hard way and going through the agony and the sleepless nights and all those things that you went True. through in your early years. And yeah. so you compacted it and handed it to him on a platter and said, okay, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good idea, right? Yep. That's a much better way to look at it. <laughs> yes. No, so don't let your ego get hurt here. <laughs> You're totally fine. Um, it, it, these are hard one lessons. Uh, I've been, this is my second business and 16 years in this business. And it's really interesting. I Same thing that you have found. I have people on my team that there is a point probably about five years ago, we were meeting with our EOS coach and we were talking about the um, accountability chart. And I was sitting in six seats and she looked at me and she said, well, Gail, what would happen if you were 100% in one seat? What would happen to the business? And I said, you're right. So I immediately started working at that point to get myself out of all the other seats. And I I have still a couple to work on, but um, I have made a lot of progress on it. And what I can tell you is 
that your joy and satisfaction with helping other people grow into their roles and take over that part is so much greater than if you're trying to continue to do that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It is very rewarding to see people grow like that and get it, it is. which is really good. Yeah. So that's kind of my attitude. I, I feel like um, to me, it's um, a gift to be able to have people on your team that have been with you for years and want to grow into their roles. And um, and it may not be the perfect situation in the end. And yes, you probably will. Most designers will end up selling it to their team mm -hmm. versus to an outside company unless their company has grown to a fairly large size and they're acquired by a larger company. But in most cases, you're, you're not going to be selling it to somebody outside, right? Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with the, um, you know, with interior designers, right? I mean, their craft is so much them, right? I mean, yes. and it's true of every business. People are buying you. Um, and that's the other thing you need to get used to, too, is promoting the team, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just you. And so I know like interior designing, it's their their thoughts and, you know, their design and their creativity is what people are really buying. But they need to make sure that then as they're bringing other people on, that they're getting involved in that process. Um, and doing that and then really promoting those people in front of the clients, you know, and saying, well, this wasn't just me. This was so-and-so and so-and-so helped out on this. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. So um, it gets the client feeling comfortable with, okay, it isn't just you. And right. I am buying into the team and I'm buying into the firm. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's a big thing. You just got to constantly remind your clients that it's not just you anymore. Yes. And you have to set your ego aside of feeling like they're coming to you and be okay with that. Because honestly, Correct. I think even in my design business, I felt that I had other designers on my team that were better designers than I was. Yeah. So it is okay. In fact, you yeah. want to hire people that are better than you are because Absolutely. it just takes a lot of pressure off. Yep. Well, one of the things that you've mentioned in here too, we, um, we asked you the question of tell us about what's new in your life. And I, it made me think about the fact that, and I'm struggling with this myself, is what is life after business? What is life after Pearl Collective? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, you can travel. I love travel. I love going out to great restaurants. Um, I love to read. There's all these things that I enjoy doing. But in the end, how do you make sure that you have something that is fulfilling like your business, because it's a different kind of lifestyle once you step back from your business, right? Right. Yeah. Now, we always tell people when they retire, they need to think about what are they retiring to? Yeah. Right. And then a lot of times the first reaction we get is, oh, I'll figure it out. And I'm like, listen, the first six months, you're going to love life because you're not working and you're going to get to play golf or tennis or whatever it is. And after six months, you'd be like, okay, wait, this is it. Right. Because you're having to fill a 40 to 60 hour void in mm -hmm. your schedule that all of a sudden now is, is free time. Um, so I think it's really important as you're approaching that to be thinking about, okay, what am I gonna use that time to do, right? Um, we have found the difference between the people that are grumpy as they age and the ones that thrive as they age is that they have a reason for getting up in the morning. And so you need to figure out what is that reason? And not, and not that it needs to be set in stone that, oh, I'm definitely gonna do this because you might try that and find out, well, that's not exactly what I wanna do. Um, but I do think you need to be searching for, hey, what's that going to be like? And I always like to translate it to, you think about it, like your whole life, you're brought up, hey, we need to go to first grade, second grade, college, and then get a good job. And then you get your job and you go, now what? 
right? And, and you think about it, you got out of college, you're 21, 22, and everyone's saying, hey, see, at 65, you're like, wait, this is 40 years. What, what, 40 years of doing what? And so, and you think about it, you had different career changes. You did, maybe you even stayed in the same career um, occupation, but your career took different trajectories. And I mean, you need to realize retirement's going to be the same way. So it's not set in stone, but I do think there needs to be a reason for getting up in the morning. And the great thing is that it doesn't have to be financially based, hopefully, right? And so that kind of gives mm -hmm. you some leeway in what you want to do, which can make things more complicated because it doesn't have to be financially based. But also it opens up to where you can do anything versus before it's like, well, I got to just make sure I make a certain amount of money. You know, if you've planned correctly, you pretty much can do whatever you want to. And I think, you know, that's good news and bad news for some people. But I do think you need to be thinking about what is, what's the reason for getting up in the morning. It's really interesting. I, my husband's been retired for six years now, and he's patiently waiting to see if I will actually retire. And I occasionally will talk about it, but in the end, I don't have a plan yet. So I'm not ready to do it. And he is uh, having a blast. He's just doing exactly what he wants. He's not bored. He's uh, He has purpose in supporting me and what I'm doing. And he also has things in the community that he's working on. So it, it, I've been watching him do this. So he's modeling for me what yep. successful retirement is for him. And he's as happy as a clam. And if I say, hey, I want to go on a vacation, he said, okay, where? When are we going? I'm ready. And, yep. um, and he's in. So it's nice to have somebody that you can watch do it so that you can see what it might be like to be there, but I'm still not ready yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's fine. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, you know, retirement wasn't a term really the way we think about it until the industrial revolution. And it was a way to get people off of the assembly line because they weren't as productive. Right. So, you know, we're, everything to me goes in cycles. So we're kind of like doing what our either grandparents or great grandparents did where they, I mean, they worked until they were in their seventies or eighties right? On the farm or doing whatever. And eventually sure. they stopped just because they physically couldn't do it, but they were still contributing maybe at a lesser degree, but they're still contributing and doing things. And so I think the good news for uh, for our generation is that we get to do the same sort of thing, but we're not just tied to a farm, right? We can now do whatever we want to, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I thought about it because I know you went to, uh, to Portugal last year. We're going this year. We've made okay. our invitations. So excited about it. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, I could be over there for a month. And if I wanted to work for some of that time, I could do it. But sure. I'm not going to, but <laughs> yeah, I'd rather enjoy Portugal. But um, I think that we have to find that purpose in our lives. And for me, I've always loved that contribution and, and the generosity and all those things. Those things are important to me and the relationships that I build. So yeah. for me, those are since those are values for me, then I want to incorporate that into whatever that next phase of my life is. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of times people um, dread it and they shouldn't dread it. Right. It should be an exciting time. But I also know it's a scary time for people. Just like when she got out of college, it was a scary time. Sure. I guess I'll be asking you in a few years when you phase out. Of course, we might be doing it at the same time. You know? That's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, I got plenty of ideas. I can tell you that. So I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I see this. You're talking about spending time in Florida and yes. uh, traveling. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that'll be great. Me doing some of that. But um, a lot of the stuff that I really want to focus in on will be, and I don't know exactly how to do it. So I got... I want to make sure I have it up and going before I retire. Cause that's the other thing I learned from the clients too, is that 
um, a lot of your contacts, once you officially retire, you kind of lose touch with them. Sure. And trying to go back. So I want to make sure I have all the contacts set up beforehand. But um, I've been very involved with different charities and things like that. And I really feel like, and I could be totally off base on this, but I feel like there can be better ways that people can give the charity. Like, I don't think people realize different ways they can give the charity um, aside from, you know, obviously give their time, but as far as how financially to give. Um, but the other thing too, is I feel like charities, um, there's two things with charities. I feel like they could be more financially responsible with their money on average. And I think that, again, same thing is people have a, usually most charities, people have good intentions, but people are running charities aren't necessarily financial people. Right. And so a lot's lost there. It's no, it's no fault of anyone, just they don't have that knowledge base. So it's a matter of, is there certain things you can do to get them to be more financially responsible? The second thing too, that really drives me crazy. I don't have an answer for it yet is that there are plenty of people that go to retire that want to help out nonprofits, but don't know where to go. And there's nonprofits looking for people. Um, and so uh, great. where this really hit me is um, one of my clients years ago was an executive from one of the top banks and like was a CPA. I mean, just had all of these degrees and everything, did not need any money. He really wanted to work part time for a charity that worked for some cancer related organization. Mm -hmm. And he goes, but I, I don't know how to do that. And I'm thinking, which cancer charity would not love to have oh, the ex-CFO yeah. of a major bank helping them out a few days when like for free, like anybody would, would want that, but there's a matter of connecting those people. And so I don't think there's a, a conduit yet to connect people like that. And I would love to be able to find a way to make that happen. So I think it would help both, both the charities as well as help people try to find a way to kind of, kind of find that purpose. I love that. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting note that you had in your questionnaire, too. And I just want to ask you about this, because here we are talking about retirement and succession planning. Right. But you said the best book you've read recently is 10X by Dan Sullivan. So are you looking to 10X your business before you retire? Sure. That'd be great. <laughs> OK, there we go. So you haven't given up on your goals and your aspirations. No, no. And I would highly recommend that book to um, anybody because it's interesting. Um, it changes your way of thinking. Um, so the overall premise of the book is if you say, hey, I want to grow by double, you just think about, well, how can I do more? Right. Basically <laughs> double everything. You're just, well, how do I work harder? But if you go, hey, I want in the next five years, have our business grow by 10 percent, you know, 10 X. Well, you realize you can't just do the same things over again, right? You have to totally change the way you're doing things. And that's what the book's all about. And I love that thinking of, okay, if you really wanted your business to grow and it's going to be 10X, what do you need to change? And it causes you to totally look at things differently than you would normally. Yes. And I think also another book that he wrote, this is Ben Hardy, is Who Not How. And yes. that's a great one to read as well. And another book I would throw in here for people to consider is Burn the Boats by Matt Higgins. And oh, I just interviewed him um, okay. on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he is so interesting, just the way that he approached his life and his business. Um, I think that's something that everybody should read. So put that on your reading list. I will. I've not heard that one before. Thank oh, you. It's excellent. Just outstanding. And then um, All In by Mike Michalowicz. I just interviewed him again this morning. Yeah, that and, book just came out, 
right? It just it's, came it's, out. It's, and yeah, it's I just about, saw something this morning about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's building um, an incredible team. Um, that's not the title, but it, the main title is All In. So yeah. those would be a few I would recommend people reading because those will help in the process of getting yourself ready to exit your business and have your succession plan ready. Yeah. So we are almost at the end of our time together. And I love to end with three different tips that you would give people based on conversation we've had or just your experience about how to help people get ready for this mentally, emotionally, in reality. Yeah, I would say the first one is obviously make sure you have a plan and just realize it may, not, it, it may not end up the way you initially start, right? And, and that's okay. So right? we, really, we really didn't talk about it, but there's also nothing wrong with, you know what, uh, building up, you know, there's nothing wrong with just saying, I'm just going to, when I exit, I'm going to exit and, and, and walk away from the business. That's fine, but have a plan for that. Like to me, have a plan. That's what you're going to do as opposed to it being a default. So, um, so I'd say make sure you have a plan and then just be, just realize that it's going to change over time. Um, and that's fine. I would say, um, you know, biggest thing for me is seek advice from mentors, you know, and consultants and coaches like you, as far as, right. What have they seen in the past? Cause you can get so much information from people. Mm -hmm. um, so I heard somebody say the difference between a smart person and a wise person, a smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. I love that. That's so, so, so great. So I would learn from what other people have gone before you. What would they do differently? And that'll help you avoid a lot, a lot of those mistakes. Excellent. Um, and I think the last thing is, again, just uh, going back to the whole retirement plan, wherever it is, have the same thing, have a plan going into retirement, right? As far as what's your reason for getting up in the morning? And I think, again, I, I cannot stress how much I've seen clients who have had that plan as far as how much happier they are in retirement than the ones who haven't. Well, I love your suggestions and I thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this. I know you've had conversations with some of our clients about this and dealt with so many different things. So I really appreciate your expertise and uh, sharing today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thanks so much to Bob for joining the podcast and teaching us all about how to set up a good succession plan. If you've never thought about this before, hopefully now you have, and you feel more confident in handing your business off in the future. In Pearl Collective's programs, this is just one of the many topics related to your business that you'll learn more about. So go to thepearlcollective.com to learn more about our programs. Tune in next week for another great episode of the Creative Genius Podcast.